Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. Welcome to Reloaded Monday. We have Montana's Ghost Town, episode 234, where we bring on David and Luke to share their experiences while they were filming their movie, Trail of Justice. These are two filmmakers that went to a ghost town to film a movie, and they actually had ghostly experiences, and they come on the show to share it all. I hope you guys enjoyed this Reloaded Monday episode. Let's get to it. Okay, I'll reload it. This was all circulating around the base that... A giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long, bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reach my hand into this bush, and I touch air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. And if you want more of the show every week on Thursdays, we release a bonus episode on on the website. So if you want more of the confessionals, more encounter stories, access to forums and live shows, go to the confessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today. Now today we got a great couple of guests coming on the show. We have Luke and we have Dave and they're filmmakers and they were filming a movie called Trail of Justice. It's a western movie and they filmed it in a ghost town in Montana. And when I say ghost town, this was literally a ghost town. It was an old western town that is now a ghost town and they had some serious experiences on set 
So we're going to get to those guys in a second here, but I have some interesting things I want to point in your direction because on this show, we cover conspiracies and we cover the paranormal. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I really believe at the highest levels and in some certain categories, the paranormal and conspiracy intertwines. And I think we have a great example of this through what's going on with this pandemic. And I don't want to go on the traditional route of the pandemic, but I had some listeners send me some clips this past week. It was actually one clip. Several listeners sent it to me. And they also sent me some shows, which was Clyde Lewis's show, Ground Zero, which was talking about this. And I thought it was a fascinating take that Clyde was presenting to the audience. And I wanted to present it to you guys as well. There is a show called Dead Zone, which aired in 2003. And one of the episodes was called The Plague. And The Plague seems like it was written for what we're going through right now, like verbiage, scenario, instances, medical, everything. Everything seems to be lining up exactly how they wrote it back in 2003. So take a listen to this clip and you tell me if today we're not experiencing exactly what they wrote back in 2003. And is this an instance of current times pulling from past theater or past theater pulling from future times. Are we talking about time travel here? Predictive programming? I find this clip very fascinating, so let's check it out right now. Alright, what's going on? Just let's think about where to start. Well, he saw something. What is it? I saw a virus. I think. Some kind of disease. A virus? Like what? Like SARS? I don't know. All I know is that it's highly infectious. It may be fatal. Right now, we could all be infected. If we take this outside, we risk the whole town. Johnny, how big is this going to get? I don't know. We just have to do everything we can to stop this, starting right now. He's right. All right. All right, here's what's going to happen. We need to make sure that everybody that's inside stays inside. I'm going to get a few deputies on it. We'll call it a... uh, a lockdown. Lockdown? Well, until I come up with something better. No. No, you cannot lock the school doors. This is for your family's safety. Maybe we should wear masks. What difference does it make? According to you, we've already been exposed. Let's get one thing straight, Mr. Smith. I'm responding to political pressure. You have no reason to be scared. Let me ask you something, Amy. Animals. You've been around any animals in the backyard, even, let's say, a skunk, a raccoon. I'm going to swab the inside of your mouth with this little Q-tip. Trying to get a handle on this animal. Damn efficient airborne transmission. Blood tests and swabs aren't telling us much. We know it acts like a virus. It causes high fever and respiratory distress. Tracking and treating a mysterious outbreak like this would take the CDC months. We better get started, Beth. Anyone who hasn't been exposed already needs to wear a mask. China. Isn't that where flu viruses come from? Yeah. A lot of viruses come from there. International flight to China? That's no coincidence. Whatever it is, it originated in China. Time is not on our side. It's like looking for a needle than a needle stack. We have ruled out all the usual suspects, influenza, SARS, bacterial pneumonia. How long is it going to take? Well, it took 34 days to isolate the coronavirus that caused SARS, and that's fast. I'm authorizing a quarantine on everyone who's come in contact with a symptomatic person. 
There's got to be something I can do. So the chloris would do So the chloris would do This is it. This is your virus. I'm sorry, but there's no cure for that. That's an anti-malarial drug. No. Listen, it suppresses the enzymes. Welcome back, you damn fool. What happened? We started everyone on chloroquine, stopped the thing dead in its tracks. Now, the CDC would have figured it out eventually, but not in time. Yep. So that's the clip, and I was really, really fascinated by it because we live in a time where we look at Hollywood and we enjoy theater, we enjoy movies, we enjoy TV shows, and we understand that the people in those shows are portraying to be an expert in something, but they're really not. They're just acting. And are we living in a society and time where we have real-life actors portraying to be something they're not, such as Bill Gates. And so I just wanted to present this clip to you guys to get you thinking on the level of, hey, is there a paranormal angle to this where we're dealing with something that has happened in the past that was supposed to be fake that we're now dealing with in the future? Was this predictive programming? Was this a time travel scenario? We see that the Simpsons talk about a lot of things that seem to happen. So are we talking about predictive programming? Are we talking about somebody who has access to future information or somebody in the future that has access to past information that goes even further back in time to place information for people of the present right now? Very interesting stuff, and I highly encourage people to check out this show, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, because that is a very good show to get you thinking outside your normal thought process. And one of the things he brings up is the Impossible Burger that Burger King put out last year, which is actually a no-meat burger. It tastes like a Whopper with a little bit of cardboard aftertaste, but it actually has no meat in it whatsoever. And he actually uses that as an example of a type of predictive programming where people were saying, why are they coming out with a meatless burger? Why is Burger King, Burger King, coming out with a meatless burger? And now here we are just a year later, and we're facing a food shortage where not only is Burger King having a meatless burger, but Wendy's and McDonald's and all these other places might follow suit. I was actually just in the drive-thru at Wendy's a few days ago, and I asked the guy in the drive-thru if they are running out of burgers. And he said to me that they are actually about a week away from running out of burgers. And I know in other places in the country, Wendy's actually pulled the burger off their menu. So we're facing a food shortage here. Are we going to see more of these companies take on meatless burgers? And was the meatless burger by Burger King called the Impossible Whopper a form of predictive programming. Very, very interesting stuff. I just wanted to share with you because my mind was blown when I started thinking about this stuff. So without any further delay, let's get to Luke and David and their ghost stories from the ghost town in Montana right now. Right, today we got a great show coming up. We have David and Luke. David, Luke, how are you guys? I'm doing well. Good, how are you? Asking Tony. I'm doing good. So, uh, you know, 
typically we don't have two people on the show. I mean, we do when it's opportune time and stuff. And today is an opportune time. So uh, you guys are going to be sharing some paranormal experiences that you guys have had together working on a movie set that you guys were putting together. Now, I want to talk about this movie a little bit real quick because uh, David sent the trailer in one of the emails and I checked it out. And I, I get people sending me stuff, you know, I get people sending me videos and things like that. I was really impressed with the production value of this movie. It, like I'm sitting there watching the show. I'm like, yep, I can't wait to watch this movie. And so it's, <laughs> it's called Trail of Justice. And one of you guys, please chime in and just let the audience know what the movie's about and kind of what spawned the idea of it. Uh, so basically, three years ago, uh, I was sitting there with one of my buddies and like, Hey, you want to make a movie? And he's like, sure. And I was like, well, do you actually seriously want to make one? Cause if I do it, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kind of mess around and want to be serious about it. And he's like, Oh yeah, sure. So long story short, me and David started kind of talking then about just story outline ideas. And the one like main theme I had for the film in general was like, why should you choose good over evil? Which kind of, is where the name actually came from trail of justice. And then we just went from there and yeah, now it's, uh, it's about a brother that, uh, goes through some hard things and has to come to a realization with the choices he's made and is about to make. And yeah, it kind of goes from there. I can't really say too much about it because of the whole marketing thing, but yeah, we're getting ready to release another trailer. And as soon as that happens, it'll kind of talk about more storylines. So Right, we spent a lot of lot of late nights together, uh, almost exactly two years ago, actually, just uh, yeah. sitting up, talking, writing outlines, and uh, developing characters, plot lines, uh, dialogue, just the whole nine yards, you know. And uh, Luke Hees put a lot of really top notch effort and you know, talent and blood, sweat, and tears into this thing in the in the days and months since then. And, uh, He's my little cousin, so I'm proud to see him. You know, really uh, stepping into his own. <laughs> he's uh, he's been doing really, really well with it. So it's it's cool to see everything come together too. After so many people have put in so much effort over so many months, and uh, we hope to you know make something big out of it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's definitely worth people checking out and stuff. Um, and you know, it's funny when you first started describing the process of it coming together, you made it sound like you were two guys sitting on a couch, eating Cheetos and playing PlayStation. You're like, you want to, you want to start a movie? Sure. All right, cool. Literally, <laughs> That's no joke. How it was minus the Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny how things come together because you know, ideas are born out of boredom sometimes, a lot of times. And uh, the problem is when you get a good idea about something, uh, it might be a good idea, but the desire and passion to follow it through usually isn't there. And usually as soon as somebody feel, realizes how hard it is to do something, they back off of it. I, I see it all the time with podcasting. I have a lot of people that reach out to me asking, you know, what does it take to do podcasting? And I just give them like a, I, I should actually save a list and just copy paste it. But I give them like the truthful, honest answer. It's like, if you want this to turn into something legit for yourself, here's what you need to do. If you're just doing it as a hobby, it doesn't matter. But if, you, if you're doing it as something you want to really turn it into, here's all the work you need to do on day one and carry it through. And most people don't start a podcast then. 
because they don't realize how hard it is, you know? And so, yeah, well, cause they sit there and they watch the finished product and they're like, Oh man, I'd love to do that. But they don't imagine all the work that goes into it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, we're sitting here recording this interview right now, and this isn't even the first step in the process. The first step in the process is going through the emails, communicating with people and lining things up. And then those people waiting their turn to get to the interview. And then we do the interview, we do the productions and we send it out to audio producers and artists. And it's just a big, it's a big effort, you know? Um, But I think it's really cool that you guys had this idea and then had the passion to follow through on it. And like I said, the trailer looks amazing. I mean, the production value is on point. And uh, that's a big hurdle to overcome. I mean, a lot of people have ideas, but to put the the production value in there and also get the the storyline across, it's that's hard. That's a hard thing to do, especially in like a minute and 40 seconds like yours was. So uh, kudos to you guys. It's awesome. And the reason why we're talking about the movie is because you guys had paranormal experiences happening on the set of this movie. And uh, some of the stuff you were saying in the email, David, was very fascinating. And I think towards the end of the email, you said there were other things that had happened that you didn't really go into detail, but we can definitely get into any detail you guys want to get into. Uh, so if you guys want to start it off here, I don't care who goes first, David or Luke, but uh, yeah. how did this all start coming together for you guys where you started realizing there was paranormal stuff going on here? Uh, because I imagine it's it's not something that hits you right away. The interesting thing is Luke is the one who actually experienced far and away way more of the activity that actually went on. Um, the first night I was there, I, I definitely did experience um, a little bit of you know odd sensations in one of the buildings that we were at. But it was really just that first night after that, it was pretty well uneventful for me. Um, Luke was the one who shared with me after the fact that that a significant number of, you know, just crazy things had been going on for several, several days. And, um, you know, I'll just give you a little bit of context for, for Luke and I, you know, we're, um, you know, spirit filled Christians, uh, you know, don't believe that, you know, any dark forces or anything like that has any, any power or authority over us. But, um, you know, the fact of the matter is there's still, how can I say this? there's still a lot of things out there that we don't fully understand. And, um, you know, like, uh, in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, there's this one instance where Daniel, he's praying and fasting. I believe it's three weeks time and he's waiting for an answer from God. And finally an answer comes to him after three weeks. And the angel says, you know, your answer came right away, Daniel. And I'm paraphrasing obviously, but then he says, but the Prince of Persia, which there's a whole lot of other things I can go into on what that means. But, Basically, this spiritual entity had kept him at bay during that time and prevented the answer from getting to him right away. And I say that to say just there's a whole lot that goes on kind of in the spiritual aspect of things that even though we don't necessarily have to be afraid of it, we still have to recognize and understand that there are things out there that we just, we're just not privy to the answer for. And, um, and you know, that can be both a disconcerting and comforting thing in that. Um, you know, we we don't have to be afraid, but we still have to do our best to you know be mindful and be wary of it. Um, yeah, Luke, why don't you kind of um, just start off with some of the first things that you began to notice them? Well, let me uh, start this whole like story off by saying that, uh, and yes, I am a Christian, like uh, David was saying, and we do have a lot of like spiritual things in our past and just 
in general, that's like what we were raised around. But the, the point I'm trying to get out here is like, I was never one of those guys that was just like, ghosts are real type of thing and this whole you know what i mean I, I don't really know how to explain it other than like the main people that i talk to about like ghosts and just weird stories and stuff are like to put it like nicely like semi-crazy or i feel like a lot of people label them as crazy you know what i mean and i'm not saying that i'm oh i'm not crazy or whatever i'm just saying that when this all started off i wasn't sitting there going or I wasn't coming from a standpoint of like, uh, even, I don't know. You watch like, uh, ghost movies and stuff and, or whatever, whatever it is. Right. And like all this crazy stuff is happening and you don't ever once think that that's going to happen. Like in real life, like you kind of walk out of the theater after you watch like a horror movie and you're like, Oh, I'm just glad that isn't like an actual thing. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I was always at. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, Oh, real, go ahead. Yeah, real quick. I, and I understand where you're coming from. Uh, everybody comes into these situations in life with their own worldviews and the way they view the world. Uh, some people are theistic, as in being Christians or whatever. Some, you know, and theistic could be Muslim too. You just believe in a higher being than yourself. Uh, some people are atheists. Uh, some people, you know, have these just different worldviews. Some people are Wiccans. And, and so these worldviews do shape how they view their experiences. And so you coming into this experience beforehand, you really didn't pay much mind to it. You didn't really, you know, believe or whatever. And, but it doesn't change the fact that you went through an experience that on the other end of it, you may have come out thinking a little differently than beforehand. Uh, that's the, exactly. that's, that's the commonality in all of this. It doesn't matter what you believe, whether you're a Christian, Muslim, a Wiccan, an atheist, uh, you, you could have all four of those people in one room and put them through the same exact experience. And they're going to walk out of that room describing that experience, but very differently because they all went into, into that room with different worldviews. And so that's a very important thing for people to understand when it comes to this stuff. Not everybody's on the same page when the experience starts, but at the end of it, you can say, yep, something did happen. We may disagree on what it was, exactly. but something did happen. And the kind of viewpoint I always, like, I came into this, like, oh, and you'll, like, hear in the stories, but the viewpoint that I was, like, at the time, it was, like, whenever anybody told you a crazy story about, like, you know, my car door opened or whatever it was, you know what I mean? You're always, like, okay, well, where's the proof? Like, did you get a picture or anything? You know what I mean? Like, is there any kind of way you can prove what you're saying is, like, true or were you just tripping? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of how I was viewed. Like everything that would happen, I was like, okay, you guys are pulling my leg because like, I mean, there were over like 200 people involved in making this movie and there was probably a solid like 50 or 60 people that had things happen to them, like in this specific town. And, uh, I would always be like, okay, you know, like what, how much, what did you have to drink the night before or whatever? You know what I mean? And it's just like, uh, when things started happening to like me personally, I was like, okay, probably the majority of what these people are saying is actually legit because a lot of the stories that I have actually came from other people. I mean, I heard stories, I was hearing stories of like just crazy things happening, like three, four months after we were done filming and like everybody was back home and the stories just kept coming in from other people that I just didn't have time to like, uh, uh, communicate with like on set. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So uh, with that said, let's start working into some of these experiences. Now, Luke, it sounds like a lot of stuff you've experienced. Uh, I don't know who wants to go first. I know, David, you said you experienced stuff the first day. So maybe, David, if you want to start out with just sharing what you experienced and kind of run it into with what uh, Luke had experienced. Yeah, yeah. My my part in this is going to be pretty brief because the only thing that really happened was, uh, well, I'll, I'll just say this. My daughter, you know, she came on the trip with us. Uh, my wife and I, we drove out to Montana. Um, to, you know, for a couple of weeks to be part of this filming. Uh, you know, we don't live in Montana, uh, at least not yet. We're hoping to do that in the future, but, um, we got there and, you know, the day's events went on. We were setting up for, uh, for the week, you know, getting our beds all done because we were actually staying on set for a couple of weeks of filming. And there's this one church building in this old Western town that was, um, it was not only the set, it was also, um, there was like hospitality suites and in some of the decrepit old buildings, if you walked inside of them, it was like a four star hotel on the inside of them. So that was pretty cool. And like, we got to stay in some, some of the rooms. Well, the church that uh, you'll see in the film uh, was the, the building that my wife and I and uh, my sister and my daughter all ended up staying in. Well, you know, the night goes on and suddenly one of the guys who he's one of the main characters in the film, he and I think one or two other people, they sprinted back to where everybody was having supper. And he says, Hey, like there's something going on in the church. Um, he didn't really want to tell me all the details, but he's like, I just felt like a really bad presence. Just some weird stuff was going on. And, and just for context, you know, I, I guess I'm seen as something of more of like a, I don't know, Luke, if you want to interject on this, something more of like kind of a spiritual leader kind of person within the group, but just got my pastoral mm-hmm. credentials you know, going to be joining the army as a chaplain pretty soon. Um, and so, yeah, I was just, I kind of had that, that kind of role within the group. And so they talked to me about it and he said something weird and creepy and, you know, potentially spiritual is going on there. So I just lay in the dead sprint along with Luke's uh, younger brother, Gideon. We uh, just went out into the church as fast as we could. And like we scoured the building, like looking for something, looking to see if anybody else was in there. And, you know, it's night and we're out on the, what feels like, you know, an abandoned uh, Western ghost town almost. So it's already kind of got a creepy vibe on its own. But like we looked throughout the church and there's nothing there. So we just walked through it and prayed through it all until, you know, the kind of unsettled feeling that was over at last. Um, you know, that was the end of that. But what I didn't know until a little bit later was what had happened to the guy who ended up running back to let me know that, you know, something had gone on in there. And Luke, that's where you can take over and explain what happened to him. Okay. So let me kind of set up the whole, the whole picture here. So this was the first day we'd been filming for about a week and we filmed in like, I think four different locations. And this was the third location, third to last location that we were filming at. It's called Anaconda, uh, uh, there's a town in a, uh, Montana, it's called Anaconda. And then there's just like an old ghost town, quote unquote ghost town. It wasn't an actual, like it wasn't built back in the 1800s or whatever. There was like a rich lady that built the town and then like actually picked up buildings from all over Montana and brought them in and like built this town and then refurbished the insides and turned it into a bed and breakfast. Well, the bed and breakfast ended up shutting down long story short. The lady was kind of, uh, to put it nicely, different, and the town just wouldn't work for her. And so the bed and breakfast shuts down, and I'm looking for a place to film 
uh, like an actual town, Western town to film on my movie in. And I hear about this town from the film office. We go out there, long story short, we get a book. So now this is the first day that we arrive on set. David drives up and finally makes it to Montana. We're like, we were setting up equipment all day, setting up kind of our base camp, getting all the computers and just all the cameras out and ready to go for tomorrow, start filming and stuff. So David shows up and, uh, I mean, he's been driving, well, it was like two days of driving or something for you, David. Yeah. Yeah. It was a yeah. long haul. <laughs> yeah. So he shows up with, there was like one like private room with an actual bathroom and that we gave him with him and his wife and his younger, young daughter. And, uh, and we set him up there and then everybody goes down to the bar. So there's the church at the top of the town and then probably 300, 400 yards down at the end of the town, opposite end of the town is the bar. And that's where we all kind of had base camp set up, which is where, let me, like, just setting this up, the the most, like, uh, I don't know what we're going to call them. I'm just going to call them spirits or whatever you, I don't know. Like, I don't know what they are, but I'm just going to say spiritual entities, okay? So the the most, like, activity that ended up happening happening to, like, us and the people that were working with us was in the church and uh, in the bar. And then there was one uh, building across from the bar. It's like a white house, and that's where some other stuff happened, too. So we're all down here uh, eating dinner and just BSing around, just talking about the shoot day for tomorrow. Well, Andrew, he's uh, one of our main characters in the film. I had to go up and get his jacket or something from in the church. He goes in and instantly just feels like I talked to him about this after because he didn't tell like anybody what happened like on the set. So like probably six months later, I talked to him. He finally tells me like what happened when we went up there because what I physically saw is him come running down and he's like freaking out because he says there's something like demonic or something going up in the in the church. And then I see David just take off and my little brother and I'm like, oh, great. Now I got to like settle all these people down because Andrew just kind of bursts through the door and is like, holy crap, guys. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and everybody's like, what is he talking about? So I'm sitting down there just trying to tell people like, look, he's not crazy. I don't know exactly what's going on, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, so I see David and Andrew run, run off. Well, six months later, I talked to Andrew. And I'm like, so, dude, like, what exactly happened? Because there was a night where we were just talking to Blake. Uh, we had a film meeting, and then it kind of just turned into, like, the whole ghost spiritual entity talk, a conversation. I was like, dude, like, what actually happened to you, like, that day? And this is what he told me. He said he goes into the church, and as soon as he, like, opens the door, like, all the lights are out, everything's dark, but he just feels, like, this immense, like, darkness, like, hovering over him and just, like, consume him, like, as he's walking through the church to his room, because the uh, the church is kind of where everybody slept, and so he's walking through to his room, and he says, as he's walking in, he just feels like a kind of a tornado, like, I don't really know how to explain it, because it's, it's just, uh, I don't even know who who could even explain it, but anyway... He's like this tornado of like darkness, like encircling him, like the deeper he gets in. And then all of a sudden he says he like turned around to like leave and something just pushes him up against the wall and he falls over and he like can't breathe for like solid 20, 30 seconds, can't get up or whatever. And then he finally gets up and just 
books it out of the church and turns around and like looks at the church and he's like freaked out. Like he doesn't know what the heck just happened. And so then he's freaking out because like, he doesn't know what's going on. He runs down to uh, David and then basically that's where David came in on the story. But, but that was his end of the story and like basically what happened. And that's kind of what kicked off our whole week was just like, nobody was expecting anything. And then all of a sudden the last person that anybody would think a ghost story or whatever you want to call it was coming from was Andrew, you know, with like the quote unquote most like saying one of the group. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, all right. So let me ask you real quick. Did you, so you didn't know what exactly happened till well after the fact. So you just knew that something happened and, you know, you were just more trying to keep the peace and sanity amongst everybody before you really found out anything. For that specific story, yeah. Okay. All right. So you were going into these other experiences, not knowing what initially kicked everything off. I was going into the other experiences thinking, okay, that was like a little weird to start our first day of filming off, but you know, we got to film a movie, so let's just keep going. And I didn't really think anything of it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So go ahead and uh, what happened next? Okay. So it's probably about the second or third day. And uh, well, actually, hang on. The second day, Nick, Nick DeBoer, which is our uh, uh, director slash videographer slash editor slash he's a freaking amazing genius with on a computer. He's the one that put together that trailer. But anyway, he comes up to me and, and this is what kind of made me like so suspicious of everything because at the beginning I was just like, there's no way, you know, like, okay, yeah, maybe Andrew freaked out or something, but who knows? Like might've had a, something bad in his food type of thing. You know what I mean? Anyway, so Nick comes up to me and he tried sleeping in uh, the bar up. A, so there's, okay, there's the bar, okay? And there's like a huge building. You'll see it in the movie. But up above the bar, there's two rooms. There's uh, what's called the brothel, which was never really used as a brothel. Like I said, the lady built the town for a bed and breakfast. The right-hand side was is another, a separate room and the floor is like rotting out in it. But there's like two beds in there, and then we just set up all of our the charging stations, the computers, the drives, just everything, our cameras, everything we put in that room. Well, Nick and this other kid named Sam uh, try sleeping in that room because like we don't want to left leave that stuff unguarded because there's like literally like thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment just sitting in that room type of thing, you know. And the way that this bar and this room was set up is. In order to get in the room, there was one way into this room. You walk up like this flight of stairs, but it's like a super narrow staircase. And that's the only way into the into the room above the bar. But the door, like nobody even knew there was a room above the bar. And we didn't tell anybody there was because we didn't want anybody going up there with all of our equipment. And we locked that door every day when we went out to film. But the door is like in around like this weird setup. I don't even know. Like, you can't get into this room, like, through the bar. You have to go outside of the building, walk around behind the building, and then walk up this one flight of staircase, and that's the only entrance into the room, okay? So anyway, Nick kind of comes up to me, and he's like, the next day, and he's like, dude, I did not sleep good at all. And at the time, I didn't think about it because I was just like, okay, you know, like, Nick just needs more coffee. You know, I don't know. Like, I was too busy, like, scheduling people and saddling horses and just 50 other million different things we had to do for the film because i'm in charge of all the scheduling and all the prep work and just everything you know what i mean and i acted in the movie on top of it so anyway 
Nick comes up to me. He's like, I, me and Sam were sleeping in that room. And all of a sudden, like during the middle of the night, we couldn't fall asleep. And we both just got up and just ran outside because it was just like, they said they, they said they like started not crying, but like feeling like they wanted to cry or something. And I might be misquoting them and like butchering the story. So they're going to kill me later, but I'm, I'm just trying to get there as far as my memory serves, you know? But anyway, he said something about some feeling of just utter sadness came on them. And then I think it was either, I think it was Sam runs out of the building and just like throws up. And then they, like they were freaked out and just like slept in the car for the rest of the week. So nobody like went back up in that room to, to sleep at all. Cause people were like, okay, that's weird. And I, and I, again, I didn't think anything of it, you know? So then Nick comes up to me and Nick is known for trying to just, Nick is the guy that just jokes around, but like practical jokes that makes you believe like, Oh, my mom just died type of thing. I got to go to Jeez. Missoula to her funeral. And you're like, Oh my gosh. And he's like, got you type of guy. You know what I mean? Or whatever. One that thinks he has a sense of humor, but he doesn't really have that great of sense of humor. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, kind of like the cliche movie, the uh, like jokester guy, you know what I mean? But, uh, anyway, so that the third day comes around and Nick comes down and he's like, he comes up to me and Christian. Christian's the other uh, producer with me. And he's like, okay, I don't know who's going like into the room upstairs, but the ro- this rocking chair keeps getting like moved around. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know who goes in there because nobody's allowed in there. So I make a physical announcement to everybody like in camp. I'm like, nobody's allowed to go in this room. Uh, it's off limits to everybody except for director and producers, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's like, okay, that night. Uh, and this is where, this is probably one of the biggest things that happened to me personally. Okay. So this, that night we were filming a death in the the movie itself. And, um, I can't really go into too much detail as far as like who was in that scene because of the movie hasn't been released yet, obviously. So I'm limited on able to talk about the storyline, but basically we're filming this death and, uh, I'm in the scene and one other person's in the scene. Well, me and that person, uh, wanted to just get away and kind of get into our like acting zones of just like death. So like we were literally sitting there thinking about just dying. You know what I mean? And, uh, so, um, I'll just call him Gideon. So Gideon goes up into this room and he pulls over this rocking chair. And I have a picture of this actually. It's super creepy, but, um, he pulls this rocking chair over to the window, sits in the chair, looks out the window and he's just sitting there like thinking about death. And then I walk up the staircase into this room, uh, because it was the most private room. There was, there was probably like 70, 80 people there at this point. So we were just trying to get away to ourselves and just, get into our zones right so Gideon pulls this rocking chair up to this window he sits there and he's just rocking back and forth looking out the window just thinking about death I'm sitting there uh listening to music and reading the script and just getting in my zone right and that we were in there for probably like three or four hours and now that I think back on it I had just a really insane amount of depression slash like sadness but i didn't think of it at the time as being like 
abnormal because that's what I was trying to get into, you know? But like, now that I think back on it, it was like abnormally like sadness type of thing. And my bro, my uh, Gideon even confirmed he had the same feelings. So anyway, we go film the scene uh, afterwards. Everything is good. We, we get what we need to, uh, for the scene. We all go to bed the next day. Uh, Nick comes back and he's like, dude, every time I leave that room, cause there was one chair, the rocking chair that Gideon sat in. So Nick comes up to me. He's like, every time I go up there and like put, uh, all of our film on the storage and I, uh, like sitting in this rocking chair, every time I leave and come back, the rocking chair is back over by the window. And I'm like, yeah, right. Because Nick, like I said, Nick's this jokester guy and like bull crap. And then he goes up to Christian. He's like, dude, I'm not joking. Like somebody keeps going in there. And Christian's like, there's no way because we literally locked that door. And Nick's like, I don't know what to tell you, but we got to figure out like who's going in there. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So me and Christian go up there and we're like, if, if Nick is serious, then we're going to like get to the bottom of this because the only thing that was like misplaced in that room was the rocking chair that, that Gideon was sitting in thinking about death. So we take this rocking chair and we lock it in. Um, we lock it in the bathroom. We there's like a there's a deal with like a um, a bathtub in the bathroom in this room. So we take the rocking chair, put it in the bathtub, close the door, and lock the door. And then we leave and we go and film for two to three hours or whatever. We come back. And me and Christian go back up in that room. Nobody's been in that room, quote unquote, nobody that uh, we heard of. And we were, ha we were having people like sit there watching and making sure nobody would go in. Cause I mean, we had people down at base camp the whole time because we'd have to get things, you know? So we're like, okay, just make sure like nobody goes in this room. And uh, my sisters are like, okay, whatever. So we leave, come back three hours later, we go up there. The door, the bathroom door is open like three inches and the rocking chair is sat back in the exact spot where uh, Gideon was sitting there watching or watching out the window. And at this point I'm like, okay, somebody is pulling our leg because I've been with Nick the whole time. Like he's been behind the camera for three hours and he's still like on his way back with the equipment. So me and Christian are like, all right, we got to see if this is like actually, actually a thing because this is creepy. So we take a knife and we mark in like very small marks on the floor exactly where the rocking chair is sitting. And we all, the only people that know that we marked this is me and Christian. So we take the rocking chair, put it back in the bathroom, lock the door, put it in the bathtub and lock the door. And then we leave and lock the other door going into the room. Again, two or three hours later after filming, we come back in and the rocking chair is sitting in the exact spot on the exact marks. And so me and Chris are like, okay, that's a little trippy, but somebody could still, there's got to be a reasonable explanation type of thing. So we take this rocking chair, lock it back in the bathroom again. And this time we take two other chairs and place them on the stairs to where it's blocking you can't walk up these stairs unless you move the chairs physically and then we mark um with little like tiny spots only we know 
on the floor where these chairs are sitting. So if somebody did, does move the chairs and puts them back, we'll know the exact like spots and we'll know if they've been moved or somebody physically went up into that room. And like I said, that was the only way into the room. So we put those chairs there, mark it, leave, lock all of the doors, go. And this time we sat there for like 45 minutes staring at the door, making sure nobody went in. And we're like, okay, you know, this, this got to be enough time or whatever, like, cause this is just weird. Open the door, make sure the chairs like blocking the staircase in the exact same position on the exact marks. And they were, we move the chairs, walk up and there's the rocking chair sitting in front of the window in the exact same marks. And the bathroom door is open three inches. Wow. And we're just like, at that point, me and Chris are just like, okay, this is the creepiest weirdest thing and the thing that made it so creepy is Gideon was literally sitting there thinking about death you know what I mean like and that's exactly where the rocking chair goes back to every time and we did that by the end of filming that chair literally probably moved 20 to 40 times but then it will always end up back in the exact same spot so it became a very regular thing for you guys dealing with this rocking chair then exactly and was it something that was well publicized amongst everybody? Everybody knew about this at that point. After after me and Christian like basically quote unquote did those tests or whatever, then yeah, like we went around and we're like, guys, there are literally like ghosts in this town because that this doesn't just happen. You know what I mean? And so then people were like looking around, not necessarily looking around, but they were mindful, like, oh man, this is like actually a ghost town. They don't, they're not just calling it a ghost town. Like this is <laughs> creepy type of thing, you know? Cause like the last person that like, and I, when I say this, I'm not saying it loosely at all. The last person that would walk around saying like there's ghosts in this town would, would have been me on set, me and Nick. I remember one person had actually suggested, um, they had heard that one of the last groups to have come in and filmed in that location um, had actually filmed some type of horror movie. And so they had like suggested maybe the reason some of this weird stuff is happening is because of, you know, something got brought in by that last film crew or, you know, it was just, mm -hmm. there was just some speculation as to, you know, what, what could have, you know, caused this because otherwise it was just, you know, a bunch of old buildings that had been a bed and breakfast, you know, it wasn't anything. I mean, you can actually, if you just go a little bit further, down the path that leads to this little town, you're basically within the city limits. So it's not like you're out in this, you know, creepy spot in the middle of, of nowhere, but, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty weird. Yeah, it is. It is definitely weird. And, you know, I, I sit around and I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and stuff when I'm working in the office and, you know, I'll venture into these, uh, ghost hunters and doing these, they'll, they'll film their, you know, doing what they do, hunting ghosts and trying to get evidence on camera and things like that. And you see them and they'll, they'll come across things where like a door will open up on camera. Uh, you know, you'll see stuff and you sit there and you think, are they faking this? You know, like, you, yeah, you don't they, know. They could easily do that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and you right. don't, you don't know. I mean, you're just literally trusting that they're authentic, authentic. And, you know, at some point you say, well, it's entertaining at least. So let's just keep watching, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, 
but uh, when you hear somebody telling their story and like even for you in your own shoes, you know, it takes all those things you might have seen before on YouTube and things like that, throws it out the window. He's like, I don't know if they were faking it, but this is for real, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So that was like the first the first thing that kind of kicked it off that actually went made me go, OK, all these stories that other people are telling me are actually legit. So now I need to start listening type of thing. Yeah. So what else happened then? I mean, what, 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 uh, from that point on, I mean, I know there's other things that were to happen. Okay. So I'm going to kind of like at this point, I'm going to kind of just go into the, like, there were probably no joke, like 30 or 40 different things that happened, but I'm going to like hit like the two or three, like bigger ones. And then I'm going to like, tell you like basically what ended up happening to the town because now there's like an actual family living in the town. And we actually went back this year. So that when what so when this all is going down, this is almost a year and a half ago that I'm talking about uh just all this other stuff happening. But literally like four months ago we went back to the town and did reshoots and more stuff happened. So I'm gonna kinda like keep the other experiences down to a minimal and just kinda tell you the most like insane ones and then I'll go into like the actual history because of the family that's living there now is like actually trying to research and find out what the hell is going on. You know what I mean? And, uh, there's some pretty crazy stuff that, because they, they've lived there for almost eight months to a year now. They're going on a year actually this year or the end of this year, they're going to be living there for a year and they have, Oh man, their stories blow my, like mine out of the water. You know what I mean? Cause I was there for a week. Right. But anyway, so, so, um, it gets to be probably, uh, David has left at this point and we have, I think two to three days left of filming in the town. And like I said, there's just been weird things going on, like very minimal, like, you know, this door opened, that light came on, you know, like I heard, Oh, actually my little brother was like, these are kind of like the little things that, that was going on. My little brother was laying in the room with, uh, me or we, me and Christian and Gideon, which is my little brother, uh, Andrew, we're all sleeping in the same room. Well, Gideon's sleeping on the floor and I'm on the bed. And one, uh, one of the nights Gideon just like waked up in the middle of the night because he heard, uh, in his, in his words, he heard a little girl whisper in his ear, like, come and play with me. Then he just wakes up and he's like freaking out, looking around. And he's like, he said the first thing he thought was like, what girl that like who just came into our room because this is like the guy's room type of thing. So he gets up and like looking around for a girl it's pitch black and like me and Christian and Andrew are all over there snoring. You know what I mean? And he's like, okay, what the heck? And just goes back to bed, which I thought that was creepy because um, Gideon's the only one that actually like physically quote unquote heard something talking to him, you know? But anyway, that was like one of the examples of like the smaller things that were going on. So what ha- what ends up happening is like two or three days, we have two or three days left of filming. I can't remember exactly how many more we were supposed to be there, but my uh, kid's pastor comes up and this guy is like, if you want to talk to somebody that has had paranormal experiences, you need to talk to this guy because this guy's literally like traveled to Egypt and Italy and just experienced some wacky stuff. Like, Oh my gosh. But anyway, this guy is, uh, in the movie and he comes up for like the last two days he's in the scenes. And so he stays in that white house that I was talking about, uh, that's like straight across from the bar. Okay. 
And then this other guy named Jeff, he comes up and this Jeff is kind of like, uh, I don't want to talk bad about anybody, but he's like just a different kind of guy. Like not, not necessarily like a loner, but like he kind of stays to himself more or less, you know what I mean? And, uh, so he, uh, everybody was supposed to stay in the church because the church has like three floors and we just set out a whole bunch of sleeping bags. And then when we film, we just put every, all of our sleeping gear away and then go and film, you know? But anyway, so we're like, all right, Jeff, you know, come up here and, uh, you know, stay in the church and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm managing, uh, like 70, 80 different people a day at this point, because we're doing a huge battle scene in the movie. And I mean, I'm like saddle, I'm, I'm managing people saddling like 12 horses. And then I have 12 actors riding those horses. And then I have like six to eight people that those people on horses are fighting that I'm managing and making sure like all the, they're in their costumes, just everything. Okay. So I, I, I wasn't that all that to say that I wasn't like keeping track of Jeff and where he was sleeping for the next three days, you know, other than I told him where to bunk at. So later I find out that Jeff went and slept in the room right across from where the chair was moving around the brothel above the bar. And when I, when you go, when I went back and talked to the owners, like, uh, this year, they said, the like I said before, the most like spiritual entity, like type of things that happen is in the bar and in the church. And I mean, people were sleeping in the church, like having weird things, but and like I said, Nick tried sleeping in the bar, but then any, one of them went out and ended up, I mean, that ended in literal somebody throwing up, you know? So anyway, Jeff goes and sleeps in the brothel uh, above the bar on the actual like bed in there. And uh, my mom and my sister are down, it's like two in the morning at this point. And they're in the kitchen, like cooking for like 80 people the next day. And, uh, Anyway, so Jeff is right above them in the room, like sleeping, right? Well, they just hear like, uh, and this, and I'm filling in the stories between like Jeff has told me some stuff. And then my parents and my sister have told me some like stuff that went on. And then also the youth pastor. So I'm telling you a story that like I've put together from like four or five different people telling me their ends of the story. Okay. So Jeff said he's sleeping in this brothel, right? And he just wakes up. Like he he said, uh, in the middle of the night, he wakes up and his bed's just like shaking. Like, it's like somebody grabbed his bed and was just violently like just shaking it. So he wakes up, looks around, nobody's there. And this guy must've had balls of steel because at that point I'd have literally pissed my pants and ran out. Okay. But this guy goes back to bed and, and, and he's heard all the stories about the, you know, everything that's been going on for the past week, you know, people whispering in ears and chairs moving around and the list goes on. But anyway, uh, he goes back to sleep and second time wakes up. Somebody's just like violently shaking his bed, wakes up, looks around, nobody's there. And he's like, okay, what the hell? Well, um, Jeff is a photographer. So he sets up his camera in uh, one of the corners like on his bed and his camera had, it wasn't a digital camera. It was like a physical switch to turn on and off. Okay. So he flips his camera on and then he puts it on the, uh, like a motion detect mode or whatever. So if something like walks by, it'll take a picture, sets his camera there up in the corner, turns it on, goes back to bed. He said like two hours later, his bed just starts shaking again. 
and he wakes up, looks around, it stops, uh, and he walks over to his camera and like to see like what the hell's going on, picks up his camera and the camera's flipped, like physically flipped off, like somebody took their thumb and just flipped the cam turned the camera off. And he's like the battery was he says the batteries were full, like there was you know what I mean? Like in order for that like even if the batteries died, the switch wouldn't have flipped to the off position. And so then he starts like and and the crazy thing is that was the first night he slept there. The second night he goes back up there and sleeps in there. And I'm like, dude, why the heck would I don't even remember his explanation for why I just kept going and sleeping in there. I think he just didn't want to be around anybody else. But bro, like I'd rather be with a person than a spirit or whatever you want to call him. And so anyway, he goes up there the second night and my, my uh, mom and sister are now down in uh, the kitchen cooking. And this next story is like probably the most intense that happened to anybody like um, on, on set. Uh, and this is coming from three different people, but the way that it plays out and you'll kind of hear as I talk about it, I think it was like two different spiritual entities in this one specific story because like just crazy things happen. So anyway, Jeff goes up, he falls asleep in that room back in the brothel the second night, which dang, like he's got some balls. Uh, my pastor Joel goes up in the white house, which nobody has slept in at this point, but he had a family. So we're like, okay, you can just like sleep in this house type thing. He goes in the house and he said, as soon as he went in the door, he, and this is the guy that I said has crazy stories of his own encounters that are just mind boggling. But anyway, he said, as soon as he went in and like was getting ready for bed, he just felt a spiritual presence. And he said, he prayed over it and like told it to leave the house basically. And like in Jesus name type of thing. So he said, as soon as he said that prayer, he felt at peace or whatever. His family went to sleep. Everything was good on their end. Now, uh, back over to Jeff. Jeff is sleeping up in the brothel and my mom and sister are over. And this is all happening at around the same time. Like there's like 15 to 20 minutes different in, difference. And like when every single one of these happened. So my mom and my sister are downstairs in the kitchen cooking in the, uh, in the bar. And all of a sudden they just hear these doors just opening and slamming and opening and slamming like constantly, but it isn't just one door. It's like four or five doors. So they're like, what the heck is that? Because everybody's in bed. So my mom go, my mom and sister go out and uh, they go over to like the brothel. And in order to get into the brothel, you had to like go up these stairs. And then there was like, there, I think there was a, a door leading into the stairs. There was a door at the top of the stairs. And then there was a door like in the bathroom, but you could see all three doors. If all the doors were open, you could see all three doors. Okay. Because the bathroom was like, as soon as you get up the stairs, the bathroom's straight across from the stairs, and then you turn right and you go in, and there's the beds and the dresser and whatever else, which is where Jeff was sleeping. So mom and Esther open this door, like leading into the brothel, look up the staircase, and the doors are just swinging violently, like open and closed, open and closed, open and closed, like two, two, three. Uh, it was, I think it was the third door at the bottom of the stairs, but as soon as like mom and sister act, uh, interacted with it, then it stopped. And they opened the door and they said they see these doors just opening, closing, and they're like, Jeff, like, what the heck is going on up there? Jeff doesn't even hear it or anything. And as soon as he wakes up, they stop and he comes over to the door and he's like, what's the problem? And my mom and sister were like yelling, like, what are you okay? Like what's going on? He wakes up, didn't even hear the doors, nothing, which I don't know. It, 
know how that happened. But anyway, he goes over to the door and he's like, I'm okay. Like, I don't know why you guys are freaking out. And mom and Esther are like, the doors were literally just like opening and slamming and you're just sleeping there. And he's like, yeah, basically or whatever. And I don't know how that ended. And I don't even know how he kept sleeping in that room. But anyway, he goes back to bed. My mom and sister go back in to, uh, the kitchen and start cooking. And I'm, and as far as I can tell with the time that people told me this all happened, this is like probably five, 10 minutes later after they go back into the bar, that's when Joel prays over this thing or whatever in the other room, this other spiritual entity in the white house. And my mom and sister are back in the kitchen and all of a sudden they hear this door just open and slam. But this time it's the door like leading into the uh, actual bar. And they're like, okay, somebody just got up and is mad. And then all of a sudden they just hear this like banging, like just constant, like boom, 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 boom. And so Esther's like, okay, I don't know what the heck. So she goes out and she's looking around. Nobody's in the, in the uh, bar, but there's this chandelier made out of a wagon wheel hanging from uh, the ceiling. And the ceiling is like 15 feet probably above above the uh ground some you can't just like walk over to it and grab it and start swinging it around right but this thing is swinging so violently it's like hitting the ceiling back and forth like every time it swings left hits the ceiling swings right hits the ceiling and it's just going back and forth not stopping like a clock just boom 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 so esther freaks out and my mom is like a pretty tough freaking lady and she's she was raised in a, like a Christian home and she's been, her father was actually a pastor, right? So she goes in, tells mom and mom's like, and she, my sister's freaking out at this point. Mom goes over, uh, goes out and sees the chandelier, jumps up on a table and grabs the chandelier for, and it's still like trying to swing around, she said. And she prays over for like five, 10 minutes and it finally just stops and everything like finally settles. And then, she like gets off the table and the chandelier finally quits and she goes back into the kitchen and they're like, what the heck just happened? And, uh, what, what she thinks happened is as soon as Joel like prayed over this, whatever it was, it got mad, leaves the white house and literally physically. Oh, and they also said when they heard the door, like open and slam, they heard footsteps too. It wasn't just like the door open and shut. It was the door open and shuts and there's footsteps and then bang, 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 bang. So they think whatever Joel prayed over, it got mad, stomped over, and kind of just threw this temper tantrum in the bar. And that's what they actually, like, saw. Dang. Mom's serious. Like, <laughs> wow. I mean, that, that, takes yep. some, that takes some guts, I guess, to to walk over and just grab the chandelier like that. I mean, uh, I don't think most people oh, would do yeah. that. Yeah. And that's like the thing, that's like the thing leading in any horror movie, like something starts moving around or the doll starts walking and then, you know, somebody's going to die. You know what I mean? And uh, exactly. she just goes over and grabs it. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh my gosh, but mom is, my mom's a pretty tough lady. So, wow. So this place is clearly haunted and you said that the owners of it now have stories that they've experienced. Yeah. So. Uh, look, you, well, I, at this point, if you want to ask any questions about like that, but feel free. And then I'll kind of like lead into like what's happened since. Well, why don't you, why don't you go into what happened since now? Okay. So like I said, four, uh, four months ago, we actually go back this year. 
to the town. And this lady moved from Seattle, bought the town from the lady that owned it when we were filming a year and a half ago. And she bought, she buys the town from that lady and she's been fixing it up ever since. And she didn't know, like she, according to her, she didn't know like anything, you know what I mean? Like she, uh, as far as like spiritual entities, like going on, you know, she just buys the town and she's like, Oh good. I'm going to reopen the bed and breakfast type of thing. So she goes in, uh, and they're like working on whatever in the town, just doing this thing. And they actually like set up, they're like they actually live in the church now like where everything was going down and uh i was like i was sitting there and i was talking to her and i was like so when's like the first time that you realize like this place is like legitly haunted and she said uh it was about two weeks after she moved in and she and it was snowing and uh she pulls her car up by the church and she falls asleep in her car and uh I think it was just her and her son at this point, and her son was in town doing something. I don't know exactly what, but all I know is she was sleeping in the car alone. Well, she said uh, her head like kind of like fell and like rested on the window, and all of a sudden she just like hears this tapping, like somebody like uh, is hitting the window with their finger, and so she wakes up and she looks over, and there's nothing there. But not only is there nothing there. But there's it, it had snowed while she was sleeping, and there was no footprints, not even her footprints, leading up into the car. There was nothing, and she heard just a constant like tap, 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 and then wakes up, looks around, and she said she almost like Peter pants because like what the hell, you know? Like there's just nothing and no footprints, nothing. And she said basically at that point she knew like okay something is really freaking crazily wrong with this place type of thing. And the crazy thing is she's been there for so long that she knows basically, so she'll go in the bar, right? And she says in the bar, there's some guy that lives in the brothel and, um, all the girls that go in the brothel, cause uh, her daughter actually slept in the brothel. Okay. And she didn't tell me all the stories because she just had too many. But basically, she said anybody that goes in the brothel that's a girl doesn't get affected by whatever kind of entity is in there. But anyone that's like a guy that goes in there and stays in there for a long period of time, something happens, which is why something happened to Jeff. And she said the guy just likes, I don't know, he just doesn't mind girls, but he just hates when guys come in there. She said downstairs in the... Um, bar itself, which I actually, uh, experienced, um, this year, I, when we went back, I actually experienced probably, I think I experienced this entity, but she said there's like this giant wolf and that she's seen all of these. Okay. Like over a period of time. And so has her daughter, but she says there's this big wolf that just walks around and he normally just like sleeps under one of the tables that's actually in the movie. And, uh, he'll, he'll walk from there and then, uh, like into the, um, into the kitchen area. And sometimes she said, when you open the door, he wants to go outside. So he'll run past you and almost knock you over, brush up against your leg, almost knock you over and just go outside. And then, uh, the same thing when you open the door, he'll come back in and brush past you. And she said, sometimes the chairs like move under the table and he just goes and like sleeps under the table. 
Wow. And that that one that one to me like freaked me out because I'll tell you that story later because I I think I experienced that one. But anyway, then there was another like uh, laundromat or something uh, like building an old one like eighteen hundred style. You know what I mean? And there she said there's a little boy and an, I can't remember if it was just a little boy in that one or like uh, a little boy. No, yeah, sorry that. So that one there's a little boy in that one and I also experienced that. And I'll tell you that story here in a minute. Uh, but he's like super shy and afraid of everything, she said. And then there's this lady that walks around town in this pink dress. And you'll just like, she said, I'll just randomly like get up and look outside in, in the middle of town. And there's just some lady in a pink dress walking up and back and forth and back and forth in town. And then in the White House, she said, there's this old granny which I actually have a story that happened to us with this lady. I can't remember her name, but she actually told um, one of my friends her name. And she lives in the White House. And then she said in the church, um, there is uh, a giant, like, eight-foot guy that's just, like, she said she feels like he's the leader of the stuff like in the town according to her i don't know exactly what but anyway this guy's just like has a presence of um uh, uh i don't even know how to say it. uh he's just kind of like the boss i i can't really describe it like she did but anyway then in the church she said there's also a cat entity that she hasn't seen Oh no! Sorry, she's seen it once, but she hears it all the time, and it plays with her dogs. She has like five dogs, and it plays with her dogs. And then, uh, what was the other ones? There was like four. Oh, and that cat. So we actually found the body of that cat under the church, or we think. But so when something dies, have you ever seen like a, an animal just like dead on the side of the road? Yeah, of course. So whatever position it dies in, uh, it basically like freezes in and just, it's like, it's almost like it's frozen. Like the body's stiff. Like you can pick the body up like a week later and it won't move at all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, the body of this cat, uh, when we found it, it was standing up and like, it was like, it was walking along and then just died, but it didn't fall over anything. It was just like, perfectly mummified and just standing there like looking at you and it's eyes were eight now or whatever and she she kept the freaking body of that cat and she said she wants to frame it because it's still walking around her church playing with their dogs she kept the body oh and the yeah she still has the body i she showed and, it to me when i was down there and it was standing up yeah when it and which is weird okay because like we actually i actually have like 15 cats and over the course of years, cats die just because they, they get old. And every single, like, dead body of a cat I have physically seen, when they die, they fall over and, you know, like I said before, they freeze in whatever position. But they, I've never seen one just standing. So it's almost like it literally looks like the soul of the cat just got ripped out of this thing. And then the body's just, like, petrified, like, standing there. And then... Like I said, she she said she's been on the bed before, and the cat will come up and rub her leg and start purring. Then it'll jump off the bed and start playing with her dog and whatever. 
Wow, it's like something scared the cat so bad it just died in its tracks. And, 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 and it stayed it immediately. It, yeah. And it's still living in this. Like, we found the body of that cat in the basement of that. Well, sorry, there's a basement. And then underneath the basement is like the water system or whatever. And we had to go in there and turn the water on while we were there. And the cat's under there, just, yeah in the basement list froze petrified and she she ended up we we just left it we we're like whatever oh i forgot to tell you about the blood so there was one night in the basement of the church we were filming i wasn't there on this one but my sisters were so they were there until probably like three in the morning filming this one scene in the basement of the church um and uh they leave and go upstairs and all that this scene was, was a guy basically talking about like how he became bad and just everything that he had done in his life. So everything that like, um, like all of his murders and just like why he turned evil essentially, but there was no makeup. There was no blood. There was nothing. The next day, me and Christian go down into the basement of that church and there's blood like actual red blood just like sprinkled all over the floor and nobody had been in there since the night before and there was no blood on it the night before and then me and christian go down there to like get lighting or whatever they left down there and there's just blood sprinkled all over the floor that was a year and a half ago do you think it was real blood (sighs) oh it was real i didn't touch it but i but i i'm a hunter and trust me i know the difference between real blood and like fake movie blood. And the only time we used even used. So here's the thing. The blood we had was in like one tube and we used it maybe in like four scenes and we never used it around the church. So it wasn't fake blood. I have no idea what, like how it got there. I have no idea who put it there or whatever, but I guarantee it wasn't a human that put it there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, this place definitely seems like it has endless stories. I mean, is there anything that you specifically want to cover before we move on? Or, I mean, this thing is like, this sounds like a town I want to go to. (laughs) I just want to check it out. So, so this lady said that she's been trying to figure out, I don't even think I've told this to David, but she said she's been trying to figure out like why the hell there's so many things going on in this town. She said that, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but basically there was this old guy that lived in a cabin, like probably a mile off away from this town, but it was right in the general area. I mean, a mile isn't that far. And, uh, this guy turned out to be, he was either a silly serial killer or he was just a murderer, but there was a girl in Anaconda that went and disappeared. I think it was like 20, 18, 20 years ago. They actually found her body up in this, um, uh, up in the cabin and the police actually arrested the guy. And now the cabin's like run down and just old and decrepit and whatever. But anyway, the police ended up arresting this guy for murder, but it wasn't necessarily that girl's murder. It was other murderers or other murders, but they ended up finding like this lost girl, like up in that cabin or at least around that cabin. And, yeah, so she thinks like whatever is happening in the town is actually feeding off of that cabin. And she hasn't been able to find here's the crazy thing is she hasn't been able to find the cabin and she's been like looking for it. 
So she can't find this cabin, even though she's looking for it. And what is she going to do when she finds the cabin? I don't know. Try to, I, according to her, get some kind of answers or whatever. I mean, I don't know how you're going to get answers. But, I mean, this lady has been, like, pinched and talked to by all these things and just, like, scared the crap. Like, doors will open and shut for her sometimes. Like, I mean, cra- I could literally could be here for, like, two more hours telling you other stories she told me. But, yeah. It's it's crazy. And then when I was in uh, the the saloon, uh, the last night this year, the last night we were filming this year, I was in there talking to one of my friends, and all of a sudden, this chair above me in the rooms above me, which by the way she locked the doors to, she wouldn't let us in above there because she said there was just too much activity going in there. And the whole week we weren't allowed in there. We didn't set our stuff back up in there. But anyway. Uh, I hear this chair move from the one room in the, that, uh, it was moving in originally that rocking chair. I hear, I don't know if it was the rocking chair or what chair it was, but I hear this chair just be drug across the floor. And then it sounded like what the way it sounded was cause there's a wall in between both of those rooms. Okay. But it sounded like somebody drugged from one end of the bar all the way to the other end of the bar, this chair. And just drug it across the floor and just set it in the brothel and like went through the wall. It didn't sound like there was a wall. It just kept going straight across the the floor and just sat the chair down in a different spot. And so then the lady comes down the next day and I'm like, hey, uh, can you go up and check like if all the furniture is in the same spot it was like whenever you've been in there last? And she's like, yeah, takes her keys out, unlocks the padlock, goes up in there, comes back down. She's like who went up there? And I'm like, nobody went up there, but I heard this last night. And she's like, holy crap. There's like two chairs in this room and there's no chairs in the other room. I'm like, Oh my, like creepy stuff like that. And then after that happened, I'm sitting there and this bath, the bathroom door opens up, but it it didn't open. Like a person grabbed it. Have you ever seen like a a dog open a door? Yeah. They kind of like push it with their nose. It's literally like a dog, like pushed this door open and then just ran out. And then, uh, just that was it. But, uh, that happened. I saw that one and then I was changing my clothes. Remember I told you about the little boy in the laundromat where we put all of our costumes in there and, um, I'm sitting there, I take off my shirt and, but I left the door open because it was just me and like the wind's like hitting my back. Right. And I was freaked out at this point because like all this other stuff was happening and she was telling about us stories. And I was like, damn, like it's even worse than when I was here. And I'm standing there. I can feel the wind on my back. Well, all of a sudden I can't feel the wind on my back anymore. I can just feel it on my head and I turn around and look and I still can't feel the wind on my body at all from like neck down. So it's like, it felt like somebody was standing in front of me, but I could feel the wind on my face. And it was literally like something or someone was standing in front of me, blocking the wind from hitting me. And this weird, just like, aura I don't even know how to explain it. It was just like radiating off of like heat. And, and I just like threw all my clothes and ran out. And that was, that was the last like when I, Oh no, actually that night, then I go into the tent right from there. Right. I go into the tent, I sleep and there was something walking around our, like everyone's tent that whole night. I'm I'm skipping a lot of the details because there's like it just there's a lot of detail. But basically, something just kept walking around and banging our tent all night that night. And I, was just like, I mean, I like I said, I could go on 
story after story, especially once you told us that are just creepy. But yeah, you know, that's pretty much I, the gist of it. Luke, I think there was actually one thing. I just connected the dots now. Do you remember when the horses got out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think because I remember when here, I, I can tell that story if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so one of the mornings that um, that we were there for, because we were there at this filming site for a little over a week, uh, we went into town to get some supplies pretty early in the morning. We were going to grab some breakfast and just, you know, we had some time earlier in the day before we had to do any filming, which was going to be that afternoon. So I think it was like my wife and um, I think Gideon was with us. Uh, anyway, it was just a, a group of us that went to town. And we we exit the the uh, ranch here because there's kind of like um, a lot of other space and other fencing and stuff with cattle in it all in that area right by the go by the uh, set. So we're driving around the the road leading into the main part of town, and we passed a couple horses, and we're like looking around for any owners by them, and we're just really confused because. I get that it's Montana, but you know, you're still not going to usually see horses running around like, <laughs> right through the middle of town, you know? So we thought pretty quickly about it. Like, you know what? We better call because if these are ours, that's a pretty big deal. We've got to be using these for, for filming. Like one, one of the big scenes we were doing was one that involved a bunch of people on horseback riding into town. And so, you know, if we didn't have the horses, that's, that's a big deal. So long story short, we ended up finally getting a hold of Luke we were trying to call people, but you know, it was early in the morning. So not everybody was up yet. And we finally got a hold of Luke and he checked around. He's like, yeah, those are our horses, you know, um, ring them in. And so I'm just in my normal car. You know, I don't have a truck or anything like a trailer that I can, you know, put these horses in. So I just grab, you know, whatever thing I can use as a lasso. I think I ended up using like, like a knapsack strap or something to just try to like rein in the horses. We ended up pinning them behind like somebody's between like somebody's house and a fence and like corralled them into a front yard and we're able to you know get the horses to kind of calm down and stay in place until the guy whose horses they were was able to pick them up in his with his trailer and all that but uh yeah just we were chasing the horses into town for a couple of miles we get back into town and we go into you know to see what happened and luke maybe correct me if i'm wrong on this but wasn't it just found that like the gate had just been left open in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. which didn't happen or well, nobody like, Oh, now that I think about it, nobody left that gate open. I even talked to Mark and he's like, whoever left the gate open was an idiot. But even and if you the got gate, so here's the thing, yeah. if the gate was open, we had like 12 horses in there, but only two left. And here's the other crazy part about this story. We actually, the whole place, the whole time we were chasing these horses around, and I know you were there before I was, David, but we ended up catching them in the church parking lot, and they were, like, running around the church. Like, yeah, they literally ran, like, six miles from uh, the ghost town into the actual town and went, and we caught them at the church. Yeah, it was, it was just uh, a weird thing. You know, at the time, of course, we're not thinking anything of it, just, you know, kind of a funny circumstance who we are driving around chasing horses around like around like people's uh, houses and, and going through neighborhoods and all that. But, um, you know, interesting thing, I, I'd like to go hiking and all that. And, um, I got a bunch of hiking and camping equipment. One of the things that I have is, you know, a trail cam and I actually set up my camera, uh, 
for the next couple nights and had it on that particular spot where the horses were corralled in. And I mean, I've reviewed the photos before. I've got like a hundred that I was taking and most of it is just, you know, capturing the horse's movements. But, um, the activity, at least for that stopped after that point, there was actually a couple nights I even slept out in the car. I'm um, just kind of keeping an eye on things. Um, I don't know if you knew about that, Luke, but uh, I'd stayed in the car right in front of the church and, um, there was no activity, no, anything by me at all after that. Another thing, the other thing that happened was, uh, there's been two, um, film crews that have gone to that town since and filmed in that town. And every single one of them has said there's spiritual entities in that town. And the film office actually sent, uh, National National Geographic, or I don't know who does it. You know that sh- there's an actual TV show like Ghost Hunters or something? Yeah. They actually went and just filmed in that town, and they said they caught some stuff on camera, and it's going to be like, it's going to be on, the, I don't know what channel, but they actually went there because other, I mean, I was talking to some other, other film crews, and they said that there was this, uh, that they were all whistling with this ghost, or whatever it was, but something somebody started whistling so everybody started whistling together and then they re- they were like wondering like who started whistling and they looked around and, and some ghost had started whistling and they all were just whistling along with it <laughs> oh man i mean just crazy things i literally there she told us so many creepy stories and just oh my gosh that's that's like uh laying in bed with your wife and you feel somebody pinching your butt and like hey baby and all of a sudden you turn over and she's not there (laughs) (laughs) exactly except it's one thing to like joke around about it but when it happens dude it's it's creepy oh for sure for sure uh you know one uh i wanted to ask you uh and i can't remember if you said in the beginning if you said you're not going to say it but what is this town? Did you say the name of this town? Uh, it's been changed like three times. I can't remember. It was Gunslinger Gulch when we um, when we saw or when we were up there filming last. But the thing is, the late so since it's privately owned, the lady just keeps changing the name. You can't even hardly find it on Google. But it's in the town of Anaconda. Okay, so this is like a town within a town. So it's like, yeah, it's like a ranch, essentially. It's like 250 acres. It's a private, like, town that's basically being into a bread and breakfast. It's private actually on, like, the northwest end of town. Yeah. Okay. And the lady's actually turning it into, like, this whole thing. And I was talking to her, and she was think- talking about, like, actually setting it up for, like, uh, you know, some kind of spiritual encounter themed, like, vacation spot she really could i mean with what you're telling me it sounds like she could really turn this into an attraction and create a living Mm -hmm. off of it um i'm oh yeah i'm very intrigued by it if it wasn't so far away i'd be there next weekend because i'm the i'm convinced that things don't happen around me i'm just convinced of it like i go to i've been to places where people are like oh it's haunted Nothing. I've stood in the middle of a graveyard that the youngest grave there was was made in like 1812. I'm in this graveyard out wow. in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the woods, no roads leading to it. It is a haunted graveyard. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I just, <laughs> I don't think things happen around me. I, I, I'm fascinated by a topic of Bigfoot. I've been out in the woods, two miles off trail. Nothing happens. The very next time I don't go out, but my partner goes out, things pop off. It never happens around. I literally was the exact same way. 
that's what I'm saying. Like before, it's just like, yeah, everybody talks about this Bolshevik type of thing. You know what I mean? And then it actually started happening. I'm like, okay, this is trippy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I've had things happen to me, but the, these people who like go into locations for that specific reason never happens. Never happens. Never happens. Like I, like I, because I'll, I don't think you, so you watch these like ghost shows or whatever. And 90% of the time, and it's like you said, maybe you'll see a door open or whatever, but you don't really see anything like significant, especially like some of the stories I've been talking about. Like, can you imagine if we'd have gotten the, uh, the chandelier swinging around on film, that thing would have gone viral. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, uh, you never like see that on film. And I think it's, and, but that's like a continuous theme. It doesn't matter like who's filming, like what's it, what it's about, like whatever, as long as it's about like them trying to communicate or find ghosts or something, they're not going to really get anything. And I think it's, and even with the guy with the camera turned off, you know what I mean? I don't think they necessarily want like whatever it is, either doesn't want proof or just doesn't like to, be found or something because every time this happens like to like the people in town whoever it happened to like they weren't wanting it they weren't expecting it they weren't looking for it it just happened to them you know what i mean and even the lady like she shows up and then all of a sudden the thing knocks on her window and opens doors for her you know what i mean like she didn't go there like all right pull the camera out honey you know what i mean yeah i i think that that place would be very interesting though for people that are like you know ghost hunters to go to and try to gather evidence because it, it sounds like if you're going to get evidence this would be the place to do it i mean it really does mm-hmm. i mean it it it's doing things around movie crews it, it if it knows if these things and i don't think it's just one this place that probably sounds like it has a lot of stuff going on there uh but whatever is going on it's doing stuff around movie crews so if it is conscious and it does know what a camera is it's not that careful i mean it's you know, like <laughs> well you know, no it is because we went through oh man we went through 12 or 16 terabytes of footage, six or seven of which are of that town. And I mean, we sat there like looking for stuff and we never found it. That's like, and we would sit there getting B-roll shots of, uh, of, um, of just buildings, you know what I mean? Like at night. But the one thing that I do know is that the ghost hunters or whoever, they like have actual like infrared and just blah, blah, blah. And I know I heard from the film office that they actually did catch something on something. I don't know exactly what, but it'll be out there at some point, you know? Yeah. I mean, the proper equipment is obviously a key thing uh, dealing with this Mm -hmm. stuff. But uh, I find it interesting now, uh, hearing you tell these stories and stuff, it really reminds me, it's not the same subject matter per se, but it just gives me this vibe of Skinwalker Ranch. Now, I don't know if you know what Skinwalker Ranch is, but uh, it is a property that has everything going on on it under the sun. I mean, you name it, it's going on there. And it's been caught mm-hmm. on camera and it's been many people have had experiences there. Um, and it's not necessarily the same thing in the sense that you're not saying that there's, um, you know, skinwalkers running around, uh, the portals opening up and things like that. But the, the way it you draw this picture, it makes me feel like this is a very specific piece of land that has a lot of mm-hmm. activity on it. It's not just confined to one room in a house or just one house. It seems yeah. like it's it, it's the property itself 
And uh, that makes you wonder, is it the property that's haunted? Is there something scientifically um, going on with that property that allows for this kind of stuff to happen so frequently? But uh, it's very interesting. And it's funny that you mentioned portals, actually, because this lady's daughter has, like, had the most experiences there. And, I mean, if you want to talk about some trippy stuff, I'll give you their numbers. You know what I mean? They have I would love it. I didn't even hear all their stories. You know what I mean? But her daughter said that one of the buildings that essentially nothing like happens at, but like, you don't see her nothing, nothing's experienced. She said is she felt is like the portal. I don't know. Basically the lady said that her daughter's more in tune with whatever that stuff is. Like, I'm not going to say that I know what it is. I definitely have my own theories and my own opinions, but whatever it is, her daughter says, or she says that her daughter can see and feel different things that she can't. And her daughter says that the portal or she literally called it a portal too, or it was like a doorway or something. How old is the daughter? Uh, 17, 18, maybe 19. Okay. So she's fairly, she's old enough to know what she's saying. It's not like she's five or six years Mm -hmm. old. It's not like she's five or six. Um, but yeah, she says like the portal or whatever is like in this building here, but nothing like, spiritual happens there she just says that she gets different vibes from that specific thing in different ways well it's really interesting man and you and you mentioned about that story where the uh the wolf and now the wolf was in the house right the bar yeah the bar like Mm -hmm. and and you're saying that that wolf really wasn't there though it was some kind of apparition no it was yeah it's some kind of spirit thing but she says it runs by him all the time when they open the door and it almost knocks him over. Now, I never felt it brush up against my leg, but I definitely think I saw it open a door. Okay. Well, it, which was the bathroom door. I, I, I just find it interesting. Uh, I've covered a lot of stuff on this show and the idea of a dog like entity pops up from here and from here and there. And, you know, I even off my show, other people's shows, I've heard different stories like this one guy on another show, he called in on this guy's show and he shared how him and his wife were having an argument one night. They go to bed angry. They're laying in bed and he starts seeing these red shapes just kind of popping up in the, in the bedroom. And he kind of nudges his wife and is like, do you see this? And she says, yeah, I see it. And something inside of him told him to look to his left and he turns and looks to his left and he sees a dog standing right there, uh, growling at him and they don't have a dog. And, and, uh, and so (laughs) it's, it's one of those things where this dog like entity, and then people claim they see these, uh, uh, dog men, they call it, you know, it's like the American werewolf kind of thing. Only it's not like Mm -hmm. most people don't believe that it is, um, uh, a werewolf as in a man turning into a wolf, but just some kind of Mm -hmm. cryptid creature. Uh, but then you got the skinwalkers who can turn into a were or not a werewolf, but a wolf. Uh, just by wearing the hide. I mean, they, we're talking about right. you know Native Americans, and they do a certain. Uh, I don't. I don't know if the right term is chant, but maybe a song. They but they they do something, and they turn themselves into uh, whatever they're trying to turn themselves into. And apparently, this is something that is actually really easy to do if you know what you're supposed to say. Like from what I understand, being a skinwalker. Like there's certain things you got to do. I think you have to like kill somebody in your family or something like that. But it, the, the process of actually doing it like, hey, today I want to turn into a wolf or today I want to turn into a deer. Like 
the, the actually doing it, it's not that hard, apparently, once you go, jump through the hoops of actually getting there. It's really interesting stuff. And um, it's, it's actually crazy that you say that because I know actual Native Americans and they say the same thing. One of, what I was just going to say is one of the projects that we're kind of looking to do in the future, we really want to tell a story, um, you know, kind of from more Native Americans' perspectives. And I have a friend from a, like a school I'd been at a few years ago, and he's already, like, it just so happened. It was really crazy. I reached out to him to get information and, you know, just ask him some questions about his tribe and, and, um, you know, what some of like the famous like stories of some of his people were, you know, just to get an idea for them and their culture and uh, get elements that we could use for, for a new storyline. And, um, you know, we had a really great conversation for a while. It turned out, um, coincidentally that he, had already been like a community organizer on his reservation, like getting people together to help with other films and documentaries and other projects that were going on. So it was just like a really crazy cool coincidence. But at the end of that conversation, I just, you know, um, just for fun, I was like, Hey man, you ever you know seen any Bigfoots around, around where you're at? And um, he's like, you know, I actually haven't, but like my dad's seen him a few times and a ton of people in the, in the community here have seen him. And he's like, I don't really know what they are, but I, I think they're demonic, man. And uh, his his tribe doesn't really have, as far as I know, any kind of traditions like that. But um, yeah, apparently it's a semi-regular thing. Um, and that's in eastern Montana, kind of more on that side of it, central eastern. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the, the werewolves and stuff, because the guy Joel that I was talking about, the youth pastor, he, has, he said he met a guy that literally looked like a wolf and his name was werewolf or it was either wolf or werewolf. His, the guy's name was wolf or one of the two. And he said, uh, that they'd have these solstices things. And he knew the guy went there and, Oh man, you just gotta, there's so many stories. I mean, the native Americans, they have this, uh, uh, legend or whatever about the little people. Have you ever heard about the little people? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's very common on their yeah. reservations. Oh yeah, that's a that's a legit thing, and I've met people that have had experiences with them. So there's like something like before even I said I was very like skeptical, like oh yeah, whatever, you know. But after I, after this happened, and then I just started like obviously after something happens, you talk about it, you know. And it's not like I'm sitting around like looking for ghosts and whatever. But I mean, I, I now I've just realized that there's so many stories from so many different people that it it can't just be coincidence. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what you should do is the people that you know have seen that stuff, you need to reach out to them and say, hey, listen to the Confessionals podcast and reach out to Tony. He wants to talk to you. So (laughs) I I honestly... I should try to get the lady that owns the town to call you. Oh, for sure. I mean, when we're done recording here, you and I and David are going to have a conversation. But uh, I'm dead serious, though, because I've never... I don't think I've ever had anybody on the show who's talked about the their experience with these little people. I've heard about it, but to have somebody come on, I'd love to love that. So, you know, just throwing it out there publicly. Anybody who 
you know, has seen something like that, I would love to talk to you. Um, but guys, I'll tell you what, I do appreciate you coming on and sharing these experiences and stuff because uh, you really got me going. I'm just sitting here and I like, Luke, at one point you said to me, uh, do you want, do you want to ask me questions now? I'm like, no, bro, just keep going. <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm sitting yeah. here, I'm sitting here being entertained. I don't got to do nothing. I just want to sit here and listen to story time with Luke. Let's go. So, <laughs> Man, appreciate it. Yeah, man. I was sitting there. I'm like, man, I can keep going, but I hope I'm not just talking right now. <laughs> no, no, no. People tune in to hear the people's stories. They don't tune in to hear me talk. And unfortunately, sometimes I talk too much. But uh, you know, I try to refrain from talking a whole lot and let you guys just kind of take the show away. And I just add in things when necessary. So uh, you guys did great. Thank you very much for being here. And uh, you know, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah thanks for having time. us. Yeah, Epstein didn't kill himself, and that's my plug. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We're not cutting that. Good night, folks. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, email people, text it to people. I don't care where you share it, but please share the show if you enjoyed it, because that's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. Bye. Hasn't happened yet. Our immersive motion picture is also revealed flying contraptions. The same power to drive these contraptions can be used to power people, to power peace. There are so many innovations that we keep on ice, ready to share with you and the rest of the world with your support if you choose to stand with us through that door. So the chloroquine would be the last So the chloroquine would be the last one. The chloroquine This is it. This is your virus. I'm sorry, but there's no cure for that. Chloroquine, that's an anti-malarial drug. <laughs>